curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Mark Schaefer rejoins us for his second visit today. A lot's changed in the marketing world since Mark first joined me way back on episode five, and his latest book, Marketing Rebellion, is a reflection on the current state of marketing. As many of us are aware, marketers everywhere are struggling, and Mark's book dives headfirst into the problems marketers are facing, the reasons behind what's happening, and then he throws open this great discussion on the path he sees marketers everywhere might take to reverse what he calls, quote, the mass production of hate. It's really intriguing stuff. If you don't know Mark, hop on over to businessesgrow.com or follow him on his blog, which merely is called Grow. Great conversation today with Mark. I hope you all enjoy it. Take a listen. Marketers everywhere are struggling with relevance. Some of the world's best-known brands find themselves pouring millions of dollars down the drain in failed attempts to reach consumers. If the people with the biggest budgets are failing, are the rest of us doomed as well? How can we stand out when the consumer has all the power? Today, I welcome in a repeat guest, Mr. Mark Schaefer, author of his seventh book, Marketing Rebellion. Good morning, Mark. Hey, it's so nice to be with you, Roger. Thanks for coming on this morning. Have your uh, morning cup of coffee with me here. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I hope the podcast goes as well as the conversation before the podcast, because we we're getting into some pretty heavy stuff. No doubt, no doubt. That's why we figured we better hurry up and click record, right? So, so Mark, Marketing Rebellion is a pretty provocative book. Uh, and in reading that thing, you know, once again, you've delved pretty deeply into a marketing topic that seems to be on a lot of people's minds. This now really like dec- decade-long struggle for marketers to find effective ways to put brands in, their brands in front of people. So I personally find it really relevant, and I hope we're able to convey that journey you suggest we take in the interview. So you okay with that being the context of the conversation? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm, I'm really excited about the book. It's, uh, it's having just a wonderful, wonderful response 
And uh, I think it's my best uh, professional work. Knowing your proclivity for using your books to kind of take a look at a specific problem, let's kind of start with, tell us what was on your mind that turned into the research that turned into the book. Well, it was, there was really a, a defining moment. Uh, I, I don't have a plan to write books. I just kind of look at the world. And when I see something that doesn't make sense, I get, I get curious and I want to, to figure it out. And as I traveled around the world and worked with clients, and I teach at Rutgers University, so I work in, in their graduate program with uh, mid to senior level marketing managers, generally at, at big companies. And everybody was sort of seeing, saying to me that, that they're stuck, that they're falling behind, that their marketing doesn't work like they used to. And the defining moment, Roger, was uh, actually, I think I have this story. Yeah, I, I have this story in the book. Um, I was invited to this CMO conference, and it was an invitation-only conference with some of the biggest names in marketing, and they invited me to come and be a facilitator. So we were having this roundtable discussion, and there were people sitting around this table from big, big companies that you know, and you know you know, a lot of the names of these marketers. And, and we were talking about, well, you know, what's on your mind? What's going on? And as they went around the table, every single CMO with big budgets and big resources and big advertising agencies, they, they, they each said, I'm, we're, we're falling so far behind. And I almost laughed out loud because that's what, I, what I'm hearing everywhere, even from small companies. I thought, what, what's going on here? Why can't they get ahead of the curve? And my original hypothesis was that they're not keeping up with technology. But when I, do, when I, when I dove into it, What's really happened is, sure, the technology is always moving ahead of us, uh, but what I found was that the customers have moved away from us in a significant way, and we've sort of got our head down using what we thought were marketing best practices, but the customers have an entirely different set of expectations now, and the book, I think, I hope, serves as a wake-up call to say, let's just level set and take a clear-eyed look based on research, where is the world? Where are our customers and what are their expectations? And my guess is when most people read this book, it's going to be kind of a shock to the system because the customers have, have very rapidly moved away from our marketing and their, and their expectation set has changed a lot. No doubt, no doubt. And it was interesting to me that you, in in the process of the research, it didn't reveal sort of this prescient, you know, in the last two years that we've witnessed this complete revolution on the customer side. Like, it's been going on for a while. And so so talk about sort of the three the three phases that you've uncovered as a, as a part of what you were uh, looking into there. Well, as I started to to think about it and, and and immerse myself in the research for this book, I had this realization that customers have always been rebelling against anybody controlling them, trying to control them, mm-hmm. or put them into a sales funnel, or to try to you know move their their minds and attitudes in some way. And uh, the first rebellion I talk about was when advertising first started and advertising in the mid 1880s to the early 1900s was creating remarkable promises. And as the competition increased, those remarkable promises turned into lies. Mm. 
just flat out lies. Some of them were dangerous lies. And uh, so there was uh, a backlash. And then that's how in America we formed the FDA and the FTC to make it a criminal act to lie in your ad. So that was sort of the first consumer rebellion against lies from companies. Then uh, technology sort of ushered in the second rebellion, which was the end of, uh, of secrets. And I think one of the most charming things I uncovered was that the first television remote was created in 1950, just when TVs were starting. The first thing people wanted to do was skip the commercials. <laughs> I just thought that was so hilarious. They had a wire that went back to the back of the TV so you could flip channels without getting off your couch. Yep. And so really the internet changed everything. And I can remember being in, in marketing back that back then in the you know late eighties and the early nineties when um, these new business models were, were coming out. And, and we, we started to see this transfer of information from our file cabinets and from the government and from every organization and institution to consumers. And we used to make money on the secrets. We made money, that's where the margins were, on the things that people didn't know about buying a car, buying insurance, buying promotional products, right? Buying promotional products, exactly right. And uh, it was terrifying. It's like, I don't, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know um, everything we thought about in terms of marketing and sales of contract negotiations was just out the door. But we did survive and we did adjust. But the big message was the consumers are saying, no more secrets. We're in control. And the rebellion that we're in now, and perhaps it's the final rebellion, who knows, is against control. Businesses have sort of this fantasy that they're in control of the consumer process, that they control the messaging, the advertising, the customer journey, the sales funnel that everybody has on their PowerPoint presentations. And that's just not true anymore. And this was one of the most Important revelations, I think, as I was looking through this research, because I've been in marketing more than 30 years, and I came across this report from McKinsey, and it's backed up, not just by McKinsey, but by Deloitte and by Accenture and all these research firms. They're basically saying loyalty is over. Uh, the sales funnel is over, that the customers are in control of their own customer journey. And not only that, hmm. the customers are in charge of our marketing. The customers are the marketers. Two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And so the heart of the, and ladies and gentlemen, that's just chapter one. (laughs) (laughs) So if you like that, you ain't seen nothing yet. So the heart of the book is really exploring. I mean, Roger, I mean, when you and I were growing up in business, we controlled most of the customer journey because that was like maybe pre-internet days, pre-social media days. And the only way people could be aware of our products or discover our products was through our ads and through our marketing. Today, there's so many channels. There's so many ways for people to hear about these things. And the fact of the matter is, generally speaking, people don't trust companies and brands and advertising, but they trust each other. So the heart of the book is really figuring out a way, how do we get into that two-thirds? 
because you can't really buy your way in. You've got to be invited into these conversations. You've got to be invited into this customer-generated marketing activity that's dominating the sales process today. And so that's that's what I unravel in 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 the book. Uh, so here we are uh, as consumers. We've we have our grandparents told us that brands lie to you because they got sold snake oil, <laughs> and then our parents told us that brands are evil because right. they would go to buy a car and they would feel ripped off because they had no opportunity to read consumer reports or understand what was the highest quality vehicle. So maybe we even had to buy a lemon. It's hard to believe that an actual car at one stage of uh, commerce was made so poorly that you would maybe have to sue the dealership to get them to take it back. And now we're in a position where it's ingrained in all of us that the brands that we try to do business with are out to take our money and steal from us. And, you know, you talk a lot about the Edelman trust barometer and, if you look at the, the 1819 trust mm-hmm. barometer, I mean, this is not getting better. And what's surprising to me is, so in this era of the customer being in control, in this era of brands not having actual uh, reins on what people think about their messaging, where's the disconnect? Why is it still so difficult for us to be able to earn the trust of the consumer? You know, isn't it amazing when you think about it, social media has created this this demand for transparency and customers or companies are are more transparent than ever they're involved in social good more than ever they're working to improve their position on the environment on diversity on inclusion on everything around ethics they're spending records of amount amount of money to tell their story through content marketing. And yet, the more effort and time and money they're putting into all those those efforts, the more their trust is going down. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. And the only conclusion you can really come to is that they, they just don't trust you because they think, well, you've got to say that because uh, that's how you're going to raise your 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 stock price. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're going to say that, and and really, I think in some ways, it's starting to become silly because you know companies are going out there and they're saying, "Oh, look, we're we're you know we're we're more we're more inclusive, and look at this, we're hiring more women, and look at this, we've we're stopping our pollution." And what you're really saying is. Hey, look at us. We're normal now. <laughs> we've, stopped being, we've stopped being stupid. Now, how is that a point of differentiation? <laughs> Congratulations. We are no longer stupid. Will you please pay attention? <laughs> and what I think people really expect, the, what I found in my research is they only believe what they can see in their lives, in their community. And I introduced this idea called artisanal marketing. You know, I know artisanal is sort of a word that's become beaten up and overused, but I couldn't really find a different word for it. But it's marketing that's that's real and true and local and organic and just beyond reproach. It's not corporate spin. It's not legal spin. It's getting down into the community, into the meetings, 
in, you know, down in, with, the, with the people, down to the, as I said in the book, in, to the tip of the shovel where work is really happening. And that, the, the thing that's challenging is that you can't automate that. And, it, and it's really hard to scale too. That's exactly, yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to scale. I guess it's about two-thirds through the book, I, I create this image of these self, these like-minded islands that people self-select into these community groups. And it's easier to do that than ever because through technology and social media, we can find our sort of tribe. Maybe it's a group of sports fans, outdoor enthusiasts, uh, people who love sh- you know a certain type of music, certain type of cooking, you can find your tribe anywhere. And businesses are thinking, "Ooh, if I could just get into that tribe, if I could just you know be become known and trusted with this group of people, I know I could sell more stuff." They don't want to see your advertising, you know. So, so I challenge people to think, okay, let's think about if you are going to be actually invited into that group. What would those people say to you? They'd say, be our friend. Be there when we need you. And if you want us to be loyal to you, first of all, you've got to be loyal to us. You've got to show us what you stand for. And you've got to stick with it. And you've got to help us have a better life and a more interesting life. And show us things that we didn't know before and help us and teach us. And oh, by the way, don't show up uninvited. Stop interrupting us. That's just rude. That's, I mean, that that's the real world, right? So why would we treat people differently online than we would offline? Why are we abusing them and annoying them and spamming them and robocalling them and filling their mailboxes with, with litter? <laughs> it's my, my, my wife turned to me the other day because one of the things that happens when you read this book, it changes your view of the world. Because now you, you're looking at the world through this filter of human truth. And my, my wife read, read the book, which is unusual. <laughs> I think it's the first, first book. Even my mother read this book. She said, you know, you I'm go. not really a business person, but even I enjoyed the stories in this book. And my, my wife, years ago, attended a, a Philharmonic concert in Boston. And every month we get a piece of mail from the Boston Philharmonic. And we live in Tennessee. Wow. And she'll never, she'll probably, it was a once in a lifetime thing that she attended five years ago. And every month we're getting this piece, this piece of thing that's just going into the landfill. And she looked at it and she said, why are they abusing me? Why are they annoying me? Why are they, why are they disrespecting the environment by, by, by putting me on this list? And she she connected it to, to the lessons in, in, in my book. And, and so the book just gives you a new filter for, view, for, for viewing the world. And the rule number one is stop doing what people hate. Just stop it. Yep. Get out there. It seems so easy. But get out there and discover what people love. Uh, there's, there's this part of the sickness of marketing today is that we've lost touch with our customers. I had the great honor to study under uh, Peter Drucker, the great American uh, writer, author, consultant, and just one of the most brilliant business minds in history. And he he told us that 75% of your meetings should be with your customer. Either, you know, if you're in a company, it could be your internal customer. If you're in sales and marketing, it should be with your external customer. 
And he said, if, if 75% of your meetings aren't with your customer, that's the sign of a sick organization. It's an organization that mm-hmm. doesn't trust. It doesn't empower people. You're getting out of touch with your customers. That, I mean, that's, that's what marketers must do. They must represent the voice of the customers into their company. They must find these unmet and underserved needs because that's the truth. That's, that's wisdom that turns into, into leverage and new products and new services that will help your company win. If you're standing amongst a group of people and that, let's just assume that those people had a sick, an unnamed sickness, but they all had gotten together because they all have the same problem. They all have that same sickness and you had the cure for that problem, but you didn't speak their language. You spoke in a foreign language. The first thing you would do after you realized that you had the cure is you would have to learn how to speak their language so that you could communicate to them that you had the cure for their problem. But mm-hmm. most people don't take the time to learn the language of the group that they're trying to participate in. And as a result, it sounds like Spanish. And that extends, Roger, to almost every aspect of, of marketing that one of the points I make in the book is that it, it's not about our story and our language, as you say, and our why. It's about their story. It's about their why. That's where the marketing has to start, is to understand where are the customers. They really don't care about our story. They really don't. Right. I, I, I think we need to reimagine this whole idea of, of corporate storytelling. So let me do this little exercise. How many corporate content channels, like a blog, a video, or podcast, sponsored by a company, created by a brand, do you subscribe to? None. I ask this in my, in my classes at Record. The highest number I ever had was five. None. Yeah, that's the usual answer. So, I mean, do you, do you subscribe to the Nike blog or the Walmart blog or the Citibank blog? None. Not corporate. Yeah, corporate, none. Blog. Okay, that's what I mean. Now, right. So the normal answer is zero. 90% of the time, it's zero. Now, <laughs> you yep. and I are in marketing. We're into this stuff. And even we don't subscribe to corporate content. Yeah. Right? And yet, you know, 80% of marketers are increasing their content marketing budgets this year. And it's insane that they're, they're doing content because they're afraid not to. And what's the real value of that content? There's the economic value of content that's not seen and shared is zero. Zero. Yeah. Right? Well, it's not only, it's, I mean, that's actually costing the organization money because they had to put the resources in to do it. And you're, you're probably promoting it. Yeah. So you're like, you're almost paying people to read your content and nobody, and still nobody's doing it. Oh boy. So, so, so we need to sort of redefine and, and, and some of the examples I have in the book, these are companies who are putting their customers first. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's customer human generated content because look, you know, what's what's the classic sort of approach to storytelling, right? You cover, you know, what, when, how, why. The most important aspect of storytelling today is who. Not it's it's who tells the story because mm-hmm. nobody believes us. We have to find a way to get our customers to tell our story. 
Yeah, there you go. So you you talk about that a lot. And so if we've done a good job of agitating people's pain points right now, and we've got some people yeah. listening on the other end going, holy cow, what am I going to do here? So so talk about this human impressions that you've that you describe in the book and what the meaning and value of that might be to someone in this pain. Well, it's it's sort of a phrase that sums up everything we've talked about so far. We've talked about that uh, people don't see ads, they don't believe ads, they don't believe companies, they don't believe brands, they want to avoid advertising, they only trust each other. This is a reason why most big legacy brands from Unilever and Procter and & Gamble and all these big companies are dying because the ads aren't being seen. They built their companies on ads. They built their products on ads. And 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 advert the advert traditional advertising is in is in decline, with you know the possible exception of ads through Facebook or Google and increasingly Amazon. But what we grew up with and, and with television and newspapers and magazines, it's just it's going away. It's it's dying or dead. So what do people who do they believe? They believe people. So the, the new aim of marketing isn't to build a brand through advertising impressions. It's to build a brand through human impressions, through the conversations that are taking place with your audience. How do you create a community? How do you create fans that are willing to spread your story? A lot of people listening are probably thinking, oh my gosh, that's, that's really hard to do. You know what? It is really hard to do. But we don't have a choice because of the whole advertising business. That whole model is going away. Two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. We've got to figure out how to get there. We do not have a choice. The marketing easy button is over. Right. Trying to find an algorithm to fix this. It's over. And if you if you just try to rely on technology to uh, you know take shortcuts. Mm-hmm there's going to be a backlash against that. You've got to connect to people in a human way. And so that's sort of this theme that we use the brands of the past were built on at, at, built on advertising impressions. The companies and brands of the future will be built on human impressions. Mark, I, I have this vision of artisanal, local, face-to-face. It's almost like if marketers would set up a farmer's market on Saturday afternoon and just hang out and talk to people and learn about what's going on in their yeah. communities, they probably have yeah. a better chance of connecting with the community yeah. than any of the other ways that they've been participating up until this point without actually making anyone angry. Well, I think that's that's really uh, a, a good uh, image. You know, uh, I'm working with a big uh, restaurant chain right now as one of my clients. I, it's probably not appropriate for me to name who, but this is a chain that really is paying attention to how they do things and what ingredients they use. And 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 one of the things literally we're talking about is having them go to farmer's markets mm-hmm. and say, look, you know, these are the ingredients we use from your community. This is, you know, we're going to do a demonstration right here and show you how we prepare our food, just like you do it at home um, and, and strike up those conversations. And most important, Show the face, right? Show the smile. Show show the passion. That can't come through in an ad. But when you meet someone face to face, something magical happens. Yeah, you said you you were talking about the notion of brands where the values of the founder show through have a much better opportunity for success. And I think you know that we're what we're talking about is 
providing that venue and that opportunity for the consumer to have a chance to feel what that is from uh, the other side of the transaction. No. Yeah, exactly. It's to the, at the, uh, you mentioned that you hadn't finished my book yet, but the very last case study in the book is, is one of my favorites. And I talk about this company in Boston called uh, Wistia. It's a company that has like a video platform. Yeah. And I got to interview uh, their CEO, Chris Savage, for the book. And Chris told this story. He said, you know, when we started out, we were selling and selling and selling. And we talked about our product a lot. And we couldn't sell anything. And then sort of for fun, we created this video of people just sort of goofing off in the workspace and showing off, showing how we work at Wistia. And it went viral. And people started calling us and buying stuff. He said, it's like when we were selling, we couldn't sell anything. And when we stopped selling and showed ourselves and showed our faces, then we, you know, we were selling everything. And he said, I realized that our culture is our marketing. So if you're, if you're, you know, if you're living in a culture where it's always be closing, you got to hit your quarterly sales goals, you know, all those old things that, you know, we grew up with in business, that doesn't necessarily fit the consumer climate today. People want to know you. They want to, they want to see your face. They want to try, you know, it's not about closing a deal. It's about building trust. That takes, that's a different time frame. It's a different marketing plan, but uh, that's what people expect today. And that's what Chris discovered, that if we just show what we do, we show our people, we show our culture, then the right customers will be attracted to us. Mark, that that's mic drop worthy. We, we are at the 30 minute mark. I don't think we could convince anyone else anything more than that, than to hear that Wistia, who, by the way, for those of you who don't know, read about Wistia, their story is remarkable. And what they've recently been able to do with not taking the company public uh, is an interesting story Mm -hmm. in and of itself. So, Mark, you thanks so much for coming on. And before we go, I wanted you did a masterful job this go around. You know, you you are a, a teacher by heart. It's so clear in what you write. But this go around, you actually in addition to the book, you're giving away all kinds of stuff on the website. So why don't you talk a little bit about yeah. the, 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 all of the, the magic of riches that people will get should they be fortunate enough to plunk down their hard-earned cash for the book and what all comes along with that. Yeah, and it's not much hard-earned cash, by the way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You, you get, you, you, you're basically buying two years of my life for $19. <laughs> right. Actually, it's on sale on Amazon right now. It's, it's less than $19. <laughs> So I, I'm sort of practicing what I preach, thinking, okay, how do I put cool stuff in the hands of my readers that will make their life better and easier and more interesting? And maybe they'll even share it with their friends, just like you are now. You're saying, hey, this was really cool stuff. So see, I started a conversation with you bringing up this stuff. Yep. So there's a free workbook. There's a free coloring book. Coloring book, yep. <laughs> I think that's a world first. That's a, a new one. Book. Uh, I've got a really nice, colorful, sort of uh, human-centered marketing manifesto that you can print out. There's a free word-of-mouth marketing workbook. And there's also a cool deal on there where if you buy my book and share it 
on social media in any way that you want. You just uh, click this this uh, button, and I'll send you a sticker, a Marketing Rebellion sticker. It says Marketing Rebel, and a button and a handwritten note from me. And you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to post anything. I'm not asking for an email address. Just my way of saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for buying my book. Thanks for sharing your ideas about the Marketing Rebellion. And here's my little gift to you. So there's lots of cool stuff on there that all comes with with the book. Well, I too, sir, will at some point in the near future have that uh, sticker on my laptop, which is a whole little separate discussion point in the book. So I hope people uh, go check out what we're talking about there and see if they too feel like uh, their laptops would be marketing rebel sticker worthy. So Mark, thanks once again. Thanks for so much for coming on and I really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again next time. years ago, attended uh, a Philharmonic concert in Boston. And every month we get a piece of mail from the Boston Philharmonic. And we live in Tennessee. And she'll never, she'll probably, it was a once in a lifetime thing that she attended five years ago. And every month we're getting this piece, this piece of thing that's just going into the landfill. And she looked at it and she said, why are they abusing me? Why are they annoying me? Why are they, why are they disrespecting the environment by, by, by putting me on this list? And she, she connected it to, to the lessons in, in, in my book. And, and so the book just gives you a new filter for, view, for, for viewing the world. And the rule number one is stop doing what people hate. Just stop it. Get out there. It seems so easy, but get out there and discover what people love. Uh, there's there's this part of the sickness of marketing today is that we've lost touch with our customers. I had the great honor to study under uh, Peter Drucker, the great American uh, writer, author, consultant, and just one of the most brilliant business minds in history. And he he told us that 75% of your meetings should be with your customer. Either, you know, if you're in a company, it could be your internal customer. If you're in sales and marketing, it should be with your external.